0: Our reading is from Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it it had been founded on the rock. So today we conclude our, our look at the Sermon on the Mount. We took, I think it's sermon number 20. So this is rivaling at the, I think, the longest series I've preached here so far. And we've been really taking our time to see how Jesus describes himself in his own words, describes the kind of life that he expects from his followers in his kingdom. This is under his authority. This is his kingdom. And he wants us to see what this life looks like. It is a, a profound passage of scripture and it is intensely practical. And we'll be talking about obeying these teachings today. The concluding section of the Sermon on the Mount is a series of images. We've looked at them in detail. There are the two gates, the narrow and the white gate, there's sheep and wolves. There are two trees, healthy and sick trees with different kind of fruit. There are two groups on the Day of Judgment. And Jesus finishes his sermon, this is how Jesus closes his sermon, by pushing us to make application. He he pushes us to make a choice. He challenges us to make a commitment to him and to his kingdom. So his final image, this is in our text today, is of two houses. One is built by a wise builder on solid foundation, and such a house can withstand the worst of storms. The other is built by a foolish builder on a faulty foundation. Such a house is sure to collapse when bad weather comes. The contrast is between these two houses, these two lives. And Jesus offers stability and hope to those who embrace him as their king and live under his Authority. So let us consider our passage under three headings, one, foundational authority, two, structural integrity, and three, gospel security. Foundational authority, structural integrity, and three, gospel security. And if you're a structural engineer or you do construction, please forgive me, I'm just a preacher. I've looked up these terms on Wikipedia, but really I may not have any idea of how to use them, so... If you feel that I'm, I'm completely mistaken about the way the houses are built, okay, I'm going to try to stick with Scripture, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to a good place. But let's talk about this, this idea of, of a foundation. And it really, he's talking about foundational authority, under which authority you live on what you base your life. The contrast here, and I, I want us to get this, I think this is actually really, really critical Uh, for understanding this passage, the contrast that Jesus gives us here is between two groups of people, right? So there's the group of people who hear Jesus' teaching, they obey it. That's one group. And the other group is people who hear Jesus' teaching and they don't obey it. That means that everyone who is listening right now, whether you're in person or on Facebook, everyone who's listening to this sermon is in one of those two groups. Jesus is talking to people who hear him. They have heard this Sermon on the Mount. They have heard his teachings. And now Jesus says, now you have a choice. There's a challenge to your life. There's a commitment you have to make. You can obey the teachings that you've heard and thus build your life on a solid foundation. Or you cannot obey what you've heard and build your life on a faulty foundation. Which group are you in? Because you're in one or the other. All of us are in one or the other group. We're either listening and obeying or we're listening and not obeying. Now, if you look at the end of the sermon, which is a reflection, Matthew's reflection of how people took his teachings. Now look at what it says, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these things, so the Sermon on the Mount, he's taught on all these subjects, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The people who heard Jesus speak knew that he speaks with authority. They were astonished by his authority. But it doesn't mean that all of them automatically accepted that authority. They were astonished. They were amazed that Jesus spoke like no other religious teacher they heard. And yet, we know from the accounts of the Gospels that many people, remained as part of the crowds and never made the transition into the community of disciples. Many people heard Jesus speak, but few actually obeyed what he said and could be classified as a disciple, as a follower, as somebody who actually obeys Jesus' teachings. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to obey what he says. It's to follow him as he does things, as he lives, we follow him. So this passage is Not as much about just hearing and saying, well, that's true, or this is wonderful, but it's obeying what you hear from Jesus. That's the foundation, is the obedience of his teachings. Jesus is a king speaking about his kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is a proclamation of a king about his kingdom. And he says, if you're part of my kingdom, this is what your life looks like. On my authority, this is how you are to live your life. Many people today admire, they admire the ideals of the Sermon on the Mount, and they esteem Jesus as an amazing teacher while completely rejecting his authority. And that happens outside the church, and that happens inside the church. Jesus' image of two houses with two kinds of foundations challenges us, anybody who hears, anybody who listens to his words, he challenges us to examine the basis on what authority we have built our lives on. Or to put it differently, what kingdom are you a part of? Everyone builds a house. Everybody lives a life. And everybody bases their life on something. Everybody submits to some foundational authority. This is how you make decisions. You make decisions because there's an authority in your life that shapes how you process reality. Everybody does that. The question is, what is your foundational authority? And will it hold during a storm? What is your authority? And will it hold during a storm? Now let's consider Jesus' picture, his illustration here. Now, of course, during his day, I'm assuming he's referring to what was common in his day, as he often does in his parables and his teachings. He's using common examples. Everybody understands. And during his day, they were foolish builders who could have easily assumed that the sun-hardened sand was as solid as rock, solid enough to build a foundation, to build a house on. But wise builders knew that they needed to spend extra time and effort and to dig deeper until they reached bedrock. Now Luke actually tells us that. Luke in a parallel account tells us that a wise builder, a wise man, digs deeper. So somebody stays on the surface, right, and builds a house right where it is, but a wiser person digs deeper and finds a more solid, stable foundation to build a house on. And only this kind of solid foundation, when you dig deep, would make this house secure. Now, I recently, yesterday, visited the Onondaga Cave, which is, I think, reason number 27 for me to live in Missouri. I mean, there's just, it's just wonderful. I mean, I've I, just, I keep discover, been there six years, and I keep discovering these wonders of the state. But this cave, which is just amazing used to boast the world's longest cave bridge. Now, it may be a dubious distinction, but they said that we had the longest bridge inside a cave. It was this old wooden bridge. You can see pictures now. The reason you don't see the actual bridge anymore is because it was extremely unsafe. <laughs> and when people started insuring people, right, when they started thinking about safety and, and the, the potential liability, they realized that, that bridge, the longest bridge, was actually built on clay. And clay is a problem in that cave, I'm learning. Again, please forgive me, I'm just a preacher, I don't understand different kinds of soil and minerals. But I've been told by the tour guide that you can't really build anything on clay in that cave. Things move, they shift. And so they built a completely different structure by securing it to the rock in the cave. Foundations apparently really matter. You can really get hurt if you don't base your life on something that is secure. So consider, Jesus says, consider your foundation. Consider what authority you are building your life on. Now, of course, most of us, when we make a decision, we're not consciously examining the authority that shapes that decision. Most of us don't do that. You just make a decision that feels right. We live our lives and we do what we need to do and whatever seems right to us, we do it. In fact, that has been the mantra of our culture. Do what feels right to you and you'll be fine. Do what's authentically yours, what's coming out of your heart. Just do that and you'll be fine. you live a good life. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that what feels right in your heart is actually based on some foundation. It, it, it is tied to some authority. It's not just random in your heart. And so when I make decisions, I'm making decisions according to the norms of the kingdom I belong to. I don't have to be conscious of those norms, but I'm basically following a certain authority. I'm building on a certain foundation, so my decisions are going to reflect what I believe to be the most important in life. Now let me give, a, a, I think, a very insightful example from, from Tim Keller. Keller says, Imagine an Anglo-Saxon warrior in Britain in A.D. 800, a long time ago. He looks into his heart and sees two strong inner impulses and feelings. One is aggression. When people show him any disrespect, his natural response is to respond violently, either to harm or to kill. He enjoys battle. Now, living in a shame-and-honor culture with the warrior ethic he will identify with that feeling he will say that's me that's who I am I will express that but let's say that the other impulse he sees in his heart is same-sex attraction he wishes that we're not there he will look at that feeling and say that's not me I will control and suppress that now come forward to today Keller says imagine a young man walking around in Manhattan he has the same two inward impulses, both equally strong. What will he say to himself? He will look at the aggression and say, that's not who I am. And will go to therapy or to some anger management programs. He will look at his sexual desire, however, and conclude, that is who I am. That's me. Now, what Keller is saying is that all of us are filtering our desires through some filter, through some lens. That's your foundational authority. So if you're coming out of a culture that values courage and, and hatred for enemy, then you would naturally say, well, this aggression, this, this violent feeling to defend honor is right. That's, that's authentically me. This is who I am, and you will actually build that up, you will uphold that, and you will reject anything that contradicts that. But if you live in a culture in a kingdom, that values sexual fulfillment and individual freedom, for example, then you will value that, and you would suppress aggression, you would suppress violence, and you would say, that's not me, this is me. But you see the difference? Those people are basically the same, but they're making decisions based on the authority that they have in their lives. One is deeply shaped by a culture of valor and honor and violence and war, the other is deeply shaped by the culture of pleasure and fulfillment and self-expression. Each sacrifices something of their own, something that feels right, that feels like it's part of me, it's part of my identity, but they reject it and sacrifice it because it doesn't fit under the authority that they live their lives on. But do you see how it's completely different? It's opposite, depending on where your kingdom is, where your values are. Both of these examples, both of these men make their decisions based on the norms of their respective kingdoms and probably do so without serious examination of of their foundational authority. They just do it. They just do what feels right to them. And all of us in that situation, we all have conflicting desires. We all have ambitions. We all have situations where we have to navigate in a certain way. And all of us subconsciously, unconsciously, or consciously fall back on what our foundational authority is. Jesus challenges us to consider, what is your foundation? What is that filter that allows you to choose one desire over another? To emphasize one and say, that's really me, and suppress and fight the other and say, that can't be me. How do you decide that? What is your filter? How do you make decisions? What is your kingdom? Now, Jesus gives us his kingdom in his book. In the Sermon on the Mount, he describes what his kingdom is. And he tells us in great detail what a life in the kingdom is like. And so if we embrace that, this becomes the filter. So when you have conflict and desires, you may accept one and reject the other. You may reject both of them. But you will conform to the authority of Jesus because you will say, this is my lens, this is my filter, this is how I understand reality. These are the norms of my kingdom. We all have a set of foundational beliefs that shape our decisions. The question is, do you know what yours are? Now, they can come, and I think most commonly, come from your family. Your foundational authority may simply be principles, values, examples that you've received in your home for good or for bad. That may be the main factor in your decision-making. You may be doing things simply because that's how your mom or your dad did things, without much thinking about it. Just like following a recipe, my mom always made it this way, and so I'm just going to do it. You're not thinking, you're not processing that. It's instinctual. And so it comes to morality, so it comes to life decisions, so it comes to relationships. You're simply doing what you think is normal. Those are the norms of your kingdom. That's your foundational authority. It's how you were brought up, for good or for bad. It may be that your foundational authority came from your political worldview, an ideology, something that you accept to be true, something that you think rings true to reality. And so as you make decisions, consciously or not, you make them based on your liberal sensibilities or conservative values or libertarian convictions, whatever it may be, that becomes the lens, it becomes the filter, it becomes the norms of your kingdom. And so that's how you make decisions. Your foundational authority can come from your national identity. You may simply try to live your life being a good American. That can inform many of your decisions, and that could become the filter, the norms of your kingdom, And so when a decision, when a dilemma is presented to you, you process it in terms of your national cultural identity. It can also come from music and movies and all sorts of things that are around you. I'm convinced that much of today's morality comes from the world of of the arts and is just presented in a very convincing, moving way where many of us are not even asking questions, we're just simply receiving that content, and and that seems true to us, and it connects with our hearts in some ways, and the power of music and the power of art is is incredible, and so we are shaped by that foundational authority. And just because you're in church this morning, it does not automatically mean that your foundational authority is Jesus' teachings. Now remember, Jesus is essentially speaking to church people in his sermon they're all listening everybody's gathered to hear religious preacher and jesus says some of you are building your lives on sand because you're listening to me but in fact your foundation is completely different you're listening but you're not obeying you're hearing what i'm saying you may admire what i'm saying you are astonished by my authority but you're not obeying my authority The implication in in this passage is that you can be in church, you can hear Scripture preached, you can read Scripture, you can know what Jesus teaches, and yet build your life on a totally different foundation. But Jesus says all other foundations are faulty. They're all temporal, and they're always shifting. There's no stability in them. Only Jesus offers the rock-steady foundation of His own view of reality, the norms of His eternal kingdom, and His own authority as the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the world. Friends, how foolish, how stupid it is for us to hear His words and refuse to do them, to hear what He's saying and say He speaks with such authority and then not do what he says. Do you really think you can do better than Jesus? Do you think there's another authority out there, there's another foundation that is better than Jesus? Knowing who Jesus is, because you've heard him describe himself, you've heard his teachings, do you really think there's something better than him? Do you think that your family, as wonderful as your family may be, knows life better than God who created life. You see, the choice is between the bedrock of a foundation and all sorts of sand, all kinds of sand, all kinds of other unstable soil. That's the choice. Now, there are many options on the other side. You can pick many other foundational authorities, but none of them are as stable and strong as the authority of Jesus and his word. And there's lots of wisdom here because Jesus actually understands like no one else what is real, what is not, what life is supposed to be like. I don't understand that. I can come up with lots of ideas and I can listen to other people that I think are wise, but Jesus actually knows. And he came to tell us. And he came to preach in our words in our images, in our illustrations, what this life of the kingdom is supposed to be like. And we hear them and we say, I think I'd rather listen to Instagram. How foolish it is. Just step back from the sort of the unconscious following of the world that all of us are tempted to do. But step back now because you're a church, you're listening, you're locked in, I hope. Step back and ask yourself, right? Right? Is it really wise to not listen to Jesus? Is it really wise to ignore the God who came in the flesh to tell us what reality is really like, what God is really like, what we are really like, and to save us from our sins? Is there a political ideology that is as complete, as extensive, as cohesive as the words of Jesus himself? Do you think your national principles are better than the principles of God's eternal kingdom? Do you think your internal moral compass, as fine-tuned as that device may be in your own heart? Do you think that your internal moral compass is more trustworthy than God's law? Do you think your playlist is better and is a better basis for a worldview than the Sermon on the Mount? How foolish it is to prefer any other authority to Jesus' own teachings. And yet I look around and I look in the mirror and I say, what a bunch of fools we are. Because all of us struggle with this. All of us read and hear and talk and we listen and we don't do it. Now I've said that many of us make decisions without a conscious understanding or foundational authority. We do that even listening to Scripture. We listen to it, but we don't say, okay, this is my foundational authority. This is how I need to make a decision. This passage of Scripture applies here. Many of us don't do that. We're sort of just moving through life and reacting to what's happening to us. We live often without knowing just how solid our foundation is. We may think it's solid, and it may not be. Now, in, in Jesus' illustration, both houses probably looked pretty similar. There's a great warning to us here that if you had looked at at those houses in Jesus' day, you probably wouldn't be able to tell which one was built on the sand and which one was built on the rock. Because outwardly, it just looks like a house, like our lives. It just looks like a life, just all trying to do the best we can. But the structural integrity of each house is inevitably tested during a storm. And in Jesus's illustration, this is how you discover whether your foundation is solid or not. He says, The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on each house. One house withstood, withstood the storm, and the other collapsed. And great was the fall of it, Jesus said. When trials come, when difficult things happen in life, when suffering happens, you, fi- you find out, I think, very quickly whether your foundation is solid or not. When, you, when your life gets shaken up, when your life is falling apart, you're trying to hold on to something, and if you have something solid to hold on to, you find stability. And if you don't, life just throws you around like a ragdoll. And you find out. I've built my life on a faulty foundation. Now for a Christian, for us, we don't hurt any less than any other people. We don't struggle with suffering any less than any other people. But we appreciate that God brings disruptions into our lives, that God brings suffering into our lives to reveal to us whether our foundation is right or not because we need that. I can deceive myself and think I've built a beautiful house on a solid foundation, but I need a storm or two to check it. I need God to send a storm into my life to make sure that my house is built right. Now, everybody resonates with this, right? I mean, we we all go through life, and everybody has trials. No question. Nobody finishes a life without some sort of suffering, without some sort of disruption, without some sort of pain. And so when trials come, Structural integrity of our lives is revealed. Financial crises, illnesses, loss of reputation, personal rejection, relational conflict. These are all storms that can help us see what our foundational authority actually is and if our house is actually structurally sound. So these storms of life, these normal things that happen to everybody are opportunities to examine what we are living for what we are basing our decisions on, what our priorities are. That's what they are. This is what, why God graciously grants us suffering. It's a good thing. Oh, Of course it's painful. I'm not, I'm not saying we, we should all be excited when pain comes into your life. But there's meaning in that, and there's grace in that, and there's an opportunity to dug deeper and build a stronger foundation for your life. Now, if you talk to people who are in recovery, people who are recovering from addiction the common story you hear is that I, was re- I had this, let's say, alcohol addiction. I had this alcohol addiction, and I was really struggling, and I thought I was doing better, but then I just fell back into it because I had not hit rock bottom yet. People say that. They say, I have to get to the lowest level to really change, to really heal. People who are are in that kind of bondage where it's an addiction controls your life. They know that so many other things in life have to be destroyed to lay bare the actual foundation of your life for you to change and for you to find a different foundation. There are functioning alcoholics. They go to work. They participate in family functions. And for a while, it seems like that's the kind of lifestyle you can sustain. And yet, for many of them, there comes a time when things just blow up, they fall apart, and they say they lose their family, they lose their job, and they realize this kind of life is utterly unsustainable. And it's an incredibly difficult, painful, and harmful experience. But for many of them, at the end of that is healing because they realize that I had built my life on a faulty foundation. And now that things have fallen apart, now that that all these things I could rely on are gone, I have to deal with this big issue in my life that I've actually built my life around, that has become my foundational authority, and it can, I cannot live like that. Nobody can live like that. So many Christian conversion stories are exactly that way. God has to destroy the faulty foundations and show us how unsafe our house is before he can rebuild our lives on the rock of his word. And thank God that He does that. Thank God that He doesn't let us just simply believe our house is fine. Maybe there won't be a storm. Maybe we can survive for a while. And God says, no, I'm going to send you a storm and I'm going to destroy your house so you can rebuild on a better foundation. Now, your life may be falling apart today. You may be in a situation where your life has fallen apart. Take this opportunity to dig deep and rebuild your foundation on the bedrock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's my story, the way I got converted at 16. My life, I had a I had a maybe it's a typical teenage crisis, I don't know. I felt that it was much bigger than just teenage angst, but I felt completely utterly without any direction and meaning in life. And I felt it acutely. And whatever my foundational authority was, whatever it was, my family, The ideology I grew up with, whatever my culture told me was right, was gone. And I didn't know what to do. And that is what drove me to Christ. Because in Christ, I found a direction, I found a meaning, and I found something that was solid enough for me to build my whole life around. And many of your stories are exactly the same. You came to a point in your life where you said, whatever I was building on, whatever my foundational authority was before, it doesn't work I've discovered that God laid bare the foundation of my life and I have to rebuild. So I'm going to dig. Let me dig deep until I hit bedrock. Now, of course, there are many stories of non-Christians surviving terrible storms and rebuilding their lives not on the gospel. And we have to be honest about that. We have to ask the question, is the gospel really the only solid foundation? What about other lives? What about the other people that go through a crisis and they rebuild their lives not on the gospel and they seem to be fine? They seem to be happy. Is the gospel really the only solid foundation? Well, it depends on the desired service life of your metaphorical house. How long do you plan to live in that house on that foundation? Are you only planning life for the next 40, 50 years? then you might find a foundation that is strong enough to get you there. But what if our lives go beyond that, as Jesus says? What about eternity? The storm imagery that Jesus is using here has has rich meaning in Scripture, and it is often used to describe God's judgment on people. So for example, Ezekiel 13, verses 13 and 14. I'll read it to you. Pay attention to how many parallels there are between this passage and what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew 7. Ezekiel 13, 13 and 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. All the elements of Jesus' teachings are in this passage. I am the Lord. This is my authority. God says, this is my authority. I will judge you on my authority. I'm not going to judge you based on your foundational authority. What you thought was right God will judge us based on what he knows is right. And when he comes, we may have whitewashed our house and it may look pretty on the outside, but the wind of his wrath, the hailstones of his anger, no house can withstand that unless it's founded on the bedrock of the gospel. So will your foundation hold when your life is examined on the last day By God Himself. What do you have to tell Him then? Will you be able to withstand the hailstones of His wrath and the flood of His anger against your sin, as assessed by Him on His own authority? What will happen then? Will your foundation hold? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ provides a foundation able to withstand the storms of this life and the ultimate storm of God's judgment only obedience to God's authority as spoken through Jesus by Jesus in these in these pages only obedience to Jesus's authority obedience of faith and obedience of practical life is a solid foundation able to provide real security now and into eternity Isaiah 28:16 says Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. God says on his own authority, I am laying a different kind of foundation for you. There's a special rock, there's a special stone that becomes the cornerstone, becomes the foundational authority of your life. And the question is, who or what is this rock? Who or what is this foundation? Acts 4, 11, 12 answers. This Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. There is no ambiguity in Scripture. There is the rock, steady foundation of his gospel in Christ. And there's everything else on the other side. But everything else on the other side is just sand. It's just different kinds of sand. And some of them look pretty, but it's just sand. And it cannot survive the storms of this life, nor the ultimate storm of God's judgment. There are lots of stories in this church of people surviving all sorts of crises and finding that their foundation of their life, the foundation of their house, goes deep enough to get through very, very difficult things. Laura Kahnke is an example of that. Laura's story is that she was able to survive the rain and the wind and the hailstorms of this life, these life's trials, because she had a foundation, she could hold on she can hold on to Jesus. And when the last day came for her, on the day of judgment, appearing before Jesus, she is safe. She's safe. Because Jesus shields her from God's wrath. Because when the examination time comes and God looks at Laura's life, as he will look at every life, if you're in Christ, what he's going to see is the perfection of Jesus. Jesus. And the authority of God, God looking at your life, assessing your life based on his own law, his own authority, is going to find complete perfection because you've been hidden in Jesus. So are you a wise or a foolish builder? Will you build your life on the rock of Jesus and his teaching? In a minute we'll sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When you sing it, will you sing it sincerely? Will you sing it seriously? Will you sing it in faith? Really believe in that and building your life on that? And saying, I'm not just singing a song at church, but this is true for my life. This is my foundation. Or will you be like the people who hear the words of Jesus, but don't obey them? You sing the songs, you honor him with your lips, but you don't actually really mean it. That's not really your life. Do you accept Jesus' authority as the king? He is your foundational authority. What he says is right. It's his authority. Do you accept him as your king? You have to start there. You have to start with that step of faith of saying Jesus is my king. I'm just going to embrace him as the king with full authority over my life. I'm going to be in his kingdom. And then as you've done that, that's your conversion. That's that. That, that big change that happens in your life when you respond to the Holy Spirit and he ushers you into the kingdom of, of God and Jesus is your king. And then when you hear Jesus talk to you, you obey him. And I mean very specifically and very practically obey the Sermon on the Mount. Now listen to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, Jesus does not allow his hearers to go away and make of his sayings what they will, picking and choosing from them whatever they find helpful and testing them to see if they work. He does not give them free rein to misuse his word with their mercenary hands, but gives it to them on condition that it retains exclusive power over them. Humanly speaking, We could understand and interpret the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. Jesus knows only one possibility. Simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting it or applying it, but doing and obeying it. That is the only way to hear his word. But again, he does not mean that it is to be discussed as an ideal. He really means us to get on with it. Bonhoeffer is very simple. He's profound, but but he's very clear when he speaks. And he sees the nature of the sermon. The nature of the sermon is to respond in obedience. Jesus has not given you many options. He's not leaving a lot of stuff to interpretation. He just tells you, this is how things are. You heard me say this. Now you obey it. You build on this foundation. So will you, in the power of the Holy Spirit, cultivate the Beatitudes... Of humility, of meekness, of mercy, of purity? Will you be salt and light to the world? This is what Jesus tells you to do. The question is will we surrender and obey? Will you seek internal as well as external righteousness? Will you reject lust and anger and all untruth? Will you love your enemies? Not saying, well, I know that Jesus told me to love my enemies, but... No. Saying, Jesus told me to love my enemies, I'm going to love my enemies. Simple surrender, simple obedience, not overthinking it, not overinterpreting it, just hearing His voice and saying, that is my foundational authority. I will build my house on that. Will you pray? Will you fast? This is what Jesus commands us to do. Will you give to the poor without any regard to how others will perceive you doing that? Will you lay up treasures in heaven? Will you trust your Father and not worry, not be anxious about life? Will you not condemn other people and judge them and yet be incredibly discerning based on the authority of God's Word? Will you treat others as you want to be treated? will you embrace the narrow way of the gospel? And on the last day, will you trust that the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf on the cross and that his victory over sin and death in the empty tomb will shield you from the greatest storm of all, from God's own wrath? I want to finish with a quick story I heard from uh, Sinclair Ferguson, the Scottish preacher, one of his sermons, he was talking about a church in Scotland, I think it's his daughter's church, where a lady who was cleaning the church, a volunteer, apparently they have a rotation for cleaning the church in Scotland. And this lady would bring her, her son, this young little boy, with her. And as the boy would clean, he would always sing this song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock, a song that everybody, I think, knows. And the rains came tumbling down, and the house on the rock stood firm. So he would just kind of hum that song and sing as as he cleaned the church. And the boy tragically died, very young age. It was a funeral in the church. And as his body was being brought out of the sanctuary, the organist, feeling compelled in some way to play this song, started gently playing. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Because that boy, the trials of his life, revealed that his foundation was secure the boy was wiser than many intelligent adult educated people who reject authority of jesus that faith that simple faith and obedience jesus tells me to do this and i'm going to do it because he's my king and i will build my life on this rock that's what jesus wants for us so what is the foundational authority of your life. When storms hit, will your house stand firm? When the greatest storm hits, the storm of God's wrath against your sin, how will you fare? Be a wise builder, listen to Jesus, and do what Jesus says.